NWTYT is the conversation. Thank you so much for joining us because this time I have for you Justin Moyer, Washington Post reporter, who's going to talk to us about a recent pass in legislation uh, that's been signed by President Biden. Thanks for joining us, Justin. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, so on Monday, President Biden released a plan that was essentially it's looking to aim to reduce homelessness in the US. Can you tell us about it? Yes, this is a bit of a, a catch-all plan, a, an aspirational plan, if you will. That's you know just trying to uh, reduce what many Americans see as an emergency: people living in tents, people um, uh, not being able to afford you know affordable housing. Uh, this is the president's, uh, the Biden administration's attempt just to sort of throw everything at this problem, or or at least appear that it is it is throwing everything at this problem. Yeah, and it definitely seems to be a problem, as you've noted, that a lot of people have brought to the surface that some of their concerns are the number of unhoused people. And especially when we're seeing so many climate related impacts on our communities, whether it's a flooding going on right now in Northern California or storms. And the fact is that people do not have shelter and we're the wealthiest nation, so we should be able to care for them. So what is this plan really getting at in terms of what are the goals here? Well, that's what advocates want to know. The plan purports to um, uh, reduce homelessness uh, by 25% by 2025. That's a lot of 25s. Basically, they want to cut uh, homelessness by a fourth in the next two years. That, at least to many, uh, to, to some, seems a very ambitious goal, uh, especially you know in the wake of a pandemic and the you know ahead of what many folks see as a, a probable recession. And they're just trying to attack this, you know, on all fronts by building more affordable housing, by uh, you know uh, preventing people from becoming homeless in the first place, by improving uh, wraparound services. This is really a, a Swiss Army knife type plan that uh, the administration has come up with. Wow, it definitely sounds very bold. Twenty-five uh, percent is a really big number, and I know right now with the U.S. Interagency Council that. In their findings in terms of homelessness, and they found that there's more than 1.2 million people who have experienced at least sheltered homelessness in 2020. So that just seems like it's impacting quite a number of people across the nation. And so I'm wondering, are Biden's goals really realistic? Advocates appeared, I guess I would say, cautiously optimistic. You know, some folks told me, you know, this all sounds great, you know, but How's this all going to come together? Who's going to build the affordable housing? Who is going to prevent people from becoming homeless in the first place? And you know, it, it sort of remains to be seen. Uh, you know, how how this is going to work, if it's going to work, and and who's going to make it work. Yeah, and it seems like also it fails to take into account that uh, individuals who are unhoused can have um, a lot of struggles and afflictions that just providing housing alone won't necessarily fix. And so if the social support networks aren't there, then nothing is going to help guarantee that the individual doesn't experience homelessness again. Indeed, and actually part of this problem is trying to figure out how many people are homeless. There's something called a point in time count. That sounds very technical. Basically all it means is that there's one night in January, it's actually in a few weeks where homeless providers all around the country Go out and and hunt for homeless people. They they look in you know 
in buildings, uh, near train stations, in rural areas, they look in you know fields. And this is not really, according to some advocates, a reliable way of, of measuring this problem because you know, if you're not homeless on, on that particular night, you may not be counted. Uh, and then you, you know, what if you become homeless in February or in August? So just even understanding the scope of this problem has proven difficult um, for the administration, for, for people trying to help. Uh, it really is something as a society we, we haven't really gotten our hands around, at least at least not yet. Indeed, and it also seems like we're not necessarily realizing that uh, there are a lot of people out there that are homeless that still have jobs. Uh, there's a 2021 study from the University of Chicago that estimates that 53% of people living in homeless shelters and about 40% of those who are unsheltered were employed either full time or part time in 2021. That really says a lot in terms of the fact that people are out there doing the best that they can, but either wages or other aspects of the system are failing them. Indeed, and this report, uh, uh, this plan sort of made the point that there's not really many places, if anywhere, that uh, you can afford housing, even if you're working a, a, a full-time job at, at the minimum wage. And that's really something that calls for an economic response that the administration maybe hasn't hasn't totally made clear, you know, how it's going to get more money in those people's pockets. You know, employed people who are working who should be able to afford a place to live who just in this environment cannot. Yes, absolutely. And I think that it's been in Biden's face for a bit in terms of the federal minimum wage being at $7.25 and that being incredibly low. The National Law Income Housing Coalition's out of reach report had found that for a household to be able to even afford a two bedroom apartment, they have to make $23 per hour. That is something that seems it's so incredibly out of reach when we keep minimum wages so incredibly low. So if we do actually want to eradicate housing, it seems like we need to not only look in terms of the social support networks that are there, but also about the wages that are being provided so people can afford to have housing. Indeed, and for, for various reasons, it seems like raising that federal minimum wage is a non-starter. Meanwhile, a problem that this this plan pointed to is the criminalization of homelessness in many places. For example, in California, for example, in New York, where the mayor has decided to make it easier to commit people who may be struggling with mental illness, who are you know perhaps living in the subway. And even in DC, there is a plan to clear every tent from, from the city, at least from what I understand, from federal land in the city. These communities that in some places have been permitted to grow during the pandemic come spring are gonna be dismantled. And you know what will happen to the folks who live there? It's not really clear whether they will get vouchers or, or some other kind of housing. Uh, it's really an, an unsolved uh, problem right now. No, unsolved indeed. And it's unfortunate because we have all the answers and we also have the resources. We've just chosen not to direct them toward addressing the actual issue. And it seems that people are more offended by the presence of unhoused people and the appearance it it gives in terms of having these tent-like communities as opposed to actually taking care of people. Indeed, and advocates like to point out that, you know, this is a solvable, a solvable problem. It's not really a mystery. The solution to homelessness 
is housing. Of course, critics of those advocates say, well, the problem is, you know, uh, more complicated if people are dealing with addictions, mental illness, or maybe a desire not to work. Uh, but however this uh, this pans out, it seems like we just need more physical spaces for people to occupy uh, if they're going to be, you know, thrown out of their tents. Uh, if there's not enough shelter space, if there's not enough voucher space, and where that uh, uh, those spaces will come from is not really really clear under this plan. No, and the thing is, we know that we need something concrete, clear, and something effective, especially since we do have considerable research. We know what needs to be done. And I had just found something I ran across on Twitter earlier today that I thought was really interesting. And it said that in Finland, the number of homeless people has fallen sharply. The reason, the country applies the housing first concept, which means those affected by homelessness receive a small apartment and counseling with any pre without any preconditions. And all this is cheaper than accepting homelessness. And the thing is, is we have so many nations around the world that have figured it out. And they have all the answers and we have all the answers, yet we can't seem to figure it out. Yeah, it sounds like a, they, get, they have a social democracy going on over there. We, we don't really quite have that here. And you know, I know just from you know, reporting in DC, when people do get spaces, you know, subsidized spaces in fancy apartments, Sometimes the residents who live there are not thrilled about it. They call the police, you know, they complain about people coming and going. There's a lot of racially coded language. So, you know, just because someone gets a space doesn't mean the problem ends when someone decides that that person is a problem for, for whatever reason, their skin color or the amount of money they don't make or, or you know, their lifestyle or whatever. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Absolutely, and I really hope that um, this plan is something meaningful, even though it doesn't seem to be the case. It seems more of you know antics of some kind of performative act as opposed to something substantive. Uh, so I don't necessarily want to commend Biden yet. And I know I initially came in this saying it was legislation. Unfortunately, it's not um, just being a plan. And so mm, we'll see what happens. But in terms of the work you're doing, is there anything that is coming up on the forefront for you? Um, again, the point in time count um, is always a very controversial time of year. I, I believe it's uh, the last Wednesday of the month. So I'm gonna hopefully uh, travel to a, a rural area, a place not like Washington DC to see how they, they count homeless uh, people out there where they may be difficult to find or doubled up or housing insecure. Um, Advocates like to say that homelessness is more visible in urban areas because there are more people, but homelessness is, is everywhere. Uh, in, you know, in the middle of the country, in red states, uh, in rural counties. So, you know, I'm just eager to see how advocates find these folks so that they can help them. Um, and hopefully that will be instructive. All right, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the work you do and we look forward to uh, reading more of your work and where can people find you? Uh, I am on Twitter at JustinWilliamMoyer.com. The William is WM, so it's Justin Wum Moyer. Probably need a, a more catchy Twitter handle, but that's what I'm working with now. All right, well, thank you so much, and we will work with that as well. Take care, Justin. Thanks so much. Welcome back to the conversation. It's more Adrian Lawrence, and this time, I have with me senior business news reporter for Insider, Samantha DeLuya. Thanks for joining us, Samantha. Thanks so much for having me. 
All right, so at the close of last year, we talked about things like quiet quitting, career cushioning, all of these phrases for the workplace. And I'd love to talk a little bit about those trends and why they took 2022 by storm, in addition to what you are seeing for 2023. Definitely, um, so yeah, 2022 was a big year for these buzzy, alliterative workplace trends. Um, and so, yeah, I was sort of wondering why are we seeing all this? You know, what is quiet quitting and career cushioning and all these things? And I spoke to a number of experts, and they tell me that you know a lot of this are terms for sort of old workplace dynamics, but others say it signals a real shifting dynamic in the workplace. Um, you know, the pandemic is now almost three years ago uh, it began and. It was a very stressful situation for a lot of people, and it's caused ramifications in the workplace. Yes, and those kind of ramifications, I'm guessing, stem from everything from people having these kind of self-actualization moments of realizing this is not they want to do with their life, to people rising up and unionizing and saying, we want better conditions. Definitely, absolutely. Um, there's a number of reasons that have contributed to uh, this rise in, you know, Sort of worker disaffection, and it's caused you know these the great resignation, quiet quitting, all of these terms. Um, you know, the labor market has gotten tighter. People are able to you know vote with their feet if they don't like a job, if they don't think it's paying enough, if the benefits aren't good, um, management isn't hearing them out. They don't feel like there's career opportunities. Uh, for the past year and a half or so, they've been able to get up and leave. They've been able to you know sort of check out and. Uh, you know, until recently, they didn't really have to worry about layoffs as much, although that is becoming a bigger issue in the past few months, especially in the tech and media sector and others that, you know, rely heavily on advertising. Yeah, it's a little bit unfortunate because I enjoyed seeing the uprising. People standing up for their worth and the conditions in which they wanted to work with. I thought it was a very empowering thing to watch. But then as we see the economy kind of move toward more of a restrictive end, and also, as you noted, in tech and other areas, seeing there being layoffs, I think it has people back in the mindset, unfortunately, that put them in this area of discomfort of possibly tolerating behavior that they should not tolerate. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, things that we've seen are old dynamics, but uh, they were sort of under the surface for almost a generation until recently, where workers were able to see that you know work-life balance is something that they can attain if they work from home. That works really well for some people, um, or you know, other things like that. That you know, there's more to life perhaps than. Uh, you know, going above and beyond at your job. And obviously, that's not the case for everybody. But, you know, for some of these people, they realize that there is life outside of work. And, you know, this pandemic sort of shook into them that they should be focused on other things like fair wages so that they can afford to have, you know, life outside of work. Um, and so that's definitely been the trend. Although some experts, as I noted before, have mentioned that, you know, the power is shifting a bit back to the employers as the economy slows down. And obviously, as in certain sectors, it's harder to find another job. You can't be as forceful with your employee because you can risk losing your job and you know risk not being able to get another one. 
Yes, and that's something unfortunately that again, will put people back in the situation they were in before. And so hopefully there can be in us sufficient momentum so that there is a solid balance for both parties as opposed to kind of this exploitative relationship that we've often seen when it comes to workplace dynamics. But something I would love to talk about in this same vein is where this is leading to in terms of 2023. I know we've already touched on the fact that we're seeing the economy become a little bit more restrictive. And as a result of that, the power dynamic is shifting somewhat back to the employer. But in terms of how people are handling themselves in the workplace, even if they are forced to commit to back to being back in these workplaces that are less accommodating in terms of their life, what are we seeing from people? Uh, Yeah, so a lot of the experts I spoke to um, said, obviously, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know where the economy is going, and that does play a big role in this. But, um, you know, the Pandora's box has kind of been opened. People, a lot of workers see that, you know, they have rights and they have needs that weren't addressed by their employers. And those employers did start to listen finally in, you know, 2021, 2022, in the early days. Uh, So, they realize that they can get their voices heard. They can, you know, demand hybrid work or work from home, um, especially in a lot of these companies that told them that that wasn't even possible until 2020. Um, so a lot of the experts I spoke to said that um, companies are going to need to do a better job of clearly defining career paths for workers so that they don't feel stagnant, they don't quiet quit, they they see a future in the company. Um, so that's going to be something that's going to have to be a focus for managers, especially because with the tighter work labor force, which is still tight as of now, um, there are harder to fill jobs. And so ex workplace experts I spoke to said, take that talent from within your company and rise up that talent instead of hiring from outside. Um, another expert I spoke to said that companies are going to need to focus on communicating a purpose to their employees. Um, purpose-driven work. So uh, you know, it's not just about pay and it's not just about benefits, although those are very critical. But a lot of the younger generation wants to feel like what they're doing has a purpose. And so that needs to be accurately and clearly communicated to their worker. What is it that you're doing? What is the end result of what it, what you're doing and why does it matter? Yes, that's something I've definitely come across in my work as a consultant that focuses on inclusivity in workplaces is that people want more almost um, kind of intellectual control over what they're doing in terms of how do I fit into the process? What am I contributing to in that end goal? I'd like to connect with that person who is the next step of the process. So I better understand my place in this whole thing that we're supposed to be doing and working together. And I think that that's great. Employers should truly embrace it because it says that this person is making that psychological investment in terms of the work that they're doing. And so having workplaces that look past the whole thought of you're just a cog in the wheel machine, that could be a way in which you can retain solid invested employees. But it seems to be a matter of changing the mindset of employers and starting to see people as whole individuals that have different needs that need to be nurtured in order to continue to get them to achieve optimal performance. Definitely. And, um, you know, it's not all necessarily trending in a positive direction for workers, unfortunately. Um, You know, there are some countervailing forces here. For example, um, there has been much reporting about how Silicon Valley is inspired by Elon Musk's management at Twitter. Um, And, you know, the fact that he can lay off that many workers and not really communicate the company's goals at like 
clearly to their workers for such a long time. Companies are saying, you know, especially in Silicon Valley, I if he can get away with that and he can still run this company, then why can't I? Why do I have to offer all these extra benefits to my workers when you can have a successful company just doing the bare minimum? Obviously, it remains to be seen if that is a successful um, model for Twitter and for Musk. But it does seem like there are a lot of fans of his in the management community, and they are inspired by what he's doing. So who knows if that's going to be a prevailing trend in 2023 and beyond is you know getting rid of some of these extra benefits that some of the workers have come to enjoy. It's just so interesting how people are so willing to blindly follow Elon Musk when if they just followed the stock ticker for Tesla, they'd see how well it is going. But then again, those are just my thoughts. But also at the same time, I think we know that the research out there shows that when you treat people the way that Elon Musk is treating them, well, not only will the feds and other investigative authorities you know, come knocking on your door, but also people will come walking out of the door as they have at Twitter. And so, you know, just because Twitter is up and running to the extent it can be, doesn't mean it will be successful or it will thrive in the long run. And so, I hope a lot of people in tech stop kind of bowing at his altar when it's clear that he's not winning. Definitely. And some, a lot of the experts I spoke to said how you let a worker go matters almost just as much as how you treat them when you keep them because. The workers that remain in the company, they see how you treat the people on their way out and that affects how they feel about their job and it affects their willingness to stay at the company. It also, you know, limits your ability to bring back boomerang employees, you know, the workers who have that experience at the company already that you already invested in training and might be willing to come back if you treat them well. Absolutely. And what I also tell a lot of my clients is that Everybody has their own megaphone and their own New York Times, so to speak, by way of social media. And so they can put your stuff out on the streets. And everybody has a video camera and an audio mic at their hands with their phone so they can capture your misconduct or how you treat them. And so with that ability, you could be trending on Twitter quick. So you might as well be mindful of how you treat people even behind closed doors because the reality is, Employers don't have the control that they used to years ago when you had news outlets as gatekeepers for stories. People can tell their own stories now and they can go viral in a matter of moments. But in terms of the work that you are doing in the future, is there anything on your docket right now that you're working on that we can keep an eye out for? Uh, yeah, I mean, so in the future, I'm you know paying attention to these trends, continuing to speak to experts who keep an eye on employees in the workforce, blue collar, white collar workers, um, looking at how to you know avoid burnout, um, which is another you know aspect of the stress of the pandemic, which caused burnout in workers, and how to say no to extra work in a way that doesn't threaten your job. Um, so I've I've been speaking to workplace experts to figure out a way to you know, communicate that to people. And so that should be out there soon. Fantastic. And where can the viewers find you? Um, at Business Insider. Great. And are you on Twitter? I am. My Twitter handle is at Sam Deluya, which is spelled D-E-L-O-U-I-A, the last name. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, Sam. We really appreciate you sharing all of your insight today. Thank you so much for having me.